0: Chapter 17 It was dark inside the clock tower. At least they were out of the tornado that battered them in the park. James rummaged in his rucksack and pulled out the key ring with his house key on it. It also had a tiny torch which he turned on to help them down the steep steps that led deep under Brighton. Both children had been down the steps before. Last year they had been underground prisoners, captured by Lord Ratzenburg who lived in a filthy floating city deep in the Wellsbourne caverns. "'Do you think the stone caused that storm?' Jenny asked as they descended. "'I don't know,' James said, but I do know that without it those foxes would have caught us easily.' They reached the bottom of the 64 steps and went through an old wrought iron gate, The gate had a squiducken pattern forged into its ironwork. They were in a large brick tunnel. It was a little like the Tube in London, only instead of a platform, they were on a narrow wooden walkway, and instead of a train track, there was a shallow stream of water a few feet below them. Which way shall we go? Jenny asked. They had the choice between following the water down toward the town centre, or going the other way, against the flow. I think I can remember most of the way we went before, downstream, James said. If we can avoid Lord Ratzenberg, we might be able to find the way out through the clock tower in town. That's risky, Jenny said. What's the other way? She pointed up the dark tunnel to where the sewer waters were coming from. James remembered his time alone in the Wellsbourne Caverns the year before. He thought about how scared the rat soldiers had been of the Hollingbury Raiders that they heard upstream. "'I don't think we want to go that way,' he said. There was not much of a choice. One direction took them toward an evil rat, the other toward an unknown evil. At least they'd escaped the rat unharmed before.' Let's go downstream toward the town centre and look for a way up before we get as far as the floating city, James said. If we don't see anything, we can come back here and maybe the foxes will be gone. It wasn't a great plan, but it was all they had, so they set off down the tunnel the same way they had gone the year before. It turned out that it was not the right way. After only a minute, a breeze blew lightly against James's face. He couldn't remember feeling any kind of wind in the tunnels before. A minute later, and the breeze turned into a wind, little waves formed in the sewer water running down the tunnel, tips breaking as they met the supports of the wooden platform. Two minutes later, and James couldn't go on, the wind had turned into a gale, howling through the tunnel, pushing them back toward the clock tower. "'This is useless!' he shouted. "'Let's go back!' By the time they reached the gate to the clock tower the wind had completely disappeared. I guess we have to go upstream, Jenny said. The way upstream started off easy enough. The wooden walkway was easily wide enough and kept them well above the stream of water. But soon it got harder, the tunnel got smaller so that the curved roof was inches above James's head. The wooden walkway got narrower and lower and more rickety, After only a couple of hundred metres, the tunnel turned sharply to the right and the walkway was unusable. It had rotted and collapsed. There was no choice but to walk along in the edges of the dirty stream. Every so often there were smaller tunnels that joined theirs, and also some rusted gates, each with its own kind of squiducken pattern on it. Last year, they had been warned against opening a gate, and James didn't want to risk it if he didn't have to. The going was slow now, they both had to crouch to avoid the low ceiling, and the tunnel now sloped steeply uphill. James was about to suggest that they went back to the clock tower, when the way forward was blocked by iron bars. Not a gate, but a certain end to their progress. What now? Jenny asked. Back to the clock tower, James said and wait for the foxes to leave. As they turned to go back, James heard something. It was a faint sound, almost indistinguishable over the sound of running water. It was coming from a small squiducking gate that he hadn't noticed, right by the iron bars. He shone his little torch at the gate and saw, to his surprise, that it was slightly open. He pushed it, and it swung inwards to a side passage, the sound was definitely coming from the passage. "'Can you hear that?' he asked Jenny. She came closer and listened. "'Is that someone singing?' she asked, "'or is it just the sound of air moving through the tunnel?' "'Only one way to find out,' James said. He pushed the gates completely open and moved slowly into the passage. It was smaller than the main tunnel, but it was completely dry and the walls were smooth.' He put his torch in his mouth and bent low, his arms touching either side to keep his balance. After a few shuffles forward, the passage got even steeper and turned tightly to the left. The steepness made it more difficult, but it also gave a little more headroom. It was a bit like being in a spiralling waterslide. Both children worked hard to move up the tunnel. At one point, James slipped and only just managed to stop himself from piling into Jenny by bracing both arms and legs against the sides. After ten full spins, James was sweating and his arms and legs were aching. The singing sound was clearer now. It was high humming of a tune that James didn't recognise. The spiralling finally ended and the tunnel went straight up. There was a kind of ladder... Iron stakes driven into the tunnel wall at regular intervals. They had come this far, it seemed like a good idea to climb the stakes. The humming was louder, and James could see the glow from another light coming from the top of the tunnel. It was a short climb that ended in a small, tall, square room. It had no windows, but in one corner was a small wooden dresser with a candle on it. Next to the dresser, was a rocking-chair. In the chair, under a crocheted blanket, was a very old and very frail-looking rat. The rat was rocking slowly, humming, and it was knitting fast, the kind of knitting that was a natural movement, like breathing or eating. "'Ah, here they are,' the old rat said, knitting needles still whirring away. Two children!' "'and two powerful artefacts here in the same room as me.' "'The rat looked up, and James saw that its eyes were milky white. "'Then he saw a white cane propped against the dresser. "'The rat was blind. "'Neither child spoke. "'Tell me, children, what brings you to the Oratel's humble abode?' "'We were running from foxes,' James said. "'We didn't mean to disturb you.' "'Oh, I think you did.' the oracle said. Otherwise, you wouldn't have climbed all the way up here. But I don't mind. It's nice to keep in touch with the real world. Years ago, if you had control of a squiducken key and the stone of Brighthelm, you could have ruled over the whole county. What are you going to do with the stone, boy? Do with it, James said. We were just stopping the magpies and the foxes. I don't want to do anything with it. Really, the oracle said. You can't think of anything you'd like help with, not even solving cryptograms. James was silent. The rat went on. The stone is very powerful, almost as powerful as our little visitor from the east. Asma, said Jenny, you know who she is. She is a relic of another time, and there are those that would like very much to control her. Those foxes don't know what they've got their paws on, and it would be good if they never did. Is she okay? Jenny asked. For now she is, but Chimera is not stupid. Right now she's concentrating on getting the stone of Brighthelm. Distraction is keeping the girls safe. Can we use the stone to rescue Asma? James asked. That would not be a sensible choice, the oracle said, shaking its head. It's risky to have all the best eggs in one basket. If you had to choose between the two, though, the girl is more important than the stone. The rat continued knitting and humming. Then it stopped and held up a newly knitted red woolen hat. For you, it said to James. You look like a boy who's spent too long in cold water. Any more questions? James took the hat and looked at Jenny, who shrugged. "'In that case, you can show yourselves out.' "'The orator pointed at a keyhole on the wall next to Jenny. "'I believe you have a key that fits.' "'James gave Jenny the Squiduckin key, and she put it in the lock and turned it. "'The wall swung outward and Jenny went through. "'James started after her, then had a thought. "'Can the stone really help decrypt the puzzles?' he asked. "'Oh, yes,' the orator said. "'But wouldn't you rather solve them without assistance?' James nodded, then followed Jenny outside. It was only after the door swung close that he realised that nodding at a blind rat wasn't his finest hour. "'That was a bit weird,' he said, looking around to get his bearings. They were in a small flower bed and had to climb over a low fence. Behind them was another clock tower, smaller than the one in Preston Park. "'We're in Blakers Park,' Jenny said. "'I'm just round the corner from my house.' And I'm late for dinner, James said with a moan. I've got to run. We need to get the gang together tomorrow and rescue Asma. I don't know how we'll find her, but between us we'll come up with a plan. I'll put the message out, Jenny said, and say we need reinforcements. They walked out of the park. Jenny went off to her house, and James jogged down the hill and up his road. He was half an hour late for dinner and had some explaining to do. He mumbled something about extra choir practice he'd forgotten to tell them about. To his surprise, his mum didn't ask any further questions. After dinner, he wanted to make sure the stone of Breithelm didn't start a storm in his bedroom. He took a mixing bowl from the kitchen up to the bathroom and filled it with water. Then he put it next to his bed and put the girdle picks in it. And then, he was so tired, he lay on his bed with all his clothes on and fell asleep.